Go with me, if you would, over to Luke chapter 5. And we are going to continue in the series that we had started quite some uh, months ago and that we have taken uh, a little break from now. And um, the series is called Healing is the Will of God. Healing is the Will of God. This is sermon number 13, I believe, of the series. And we have covered 20 reasons why we believe that it is God's will for all to be healed. We looked at reason after reason after reason. And we've even said this, that, you know, can you find anyone to give you 20 reasons from Scripture why healing is not the will of God for today? And, and while that can't be done, um, we're not done yet with building on these reasons. So I'm going to very quickly go down through the reasons that are listed that we covered so far. You can find these in prior sermons online. They're free on our website. Reason number one was because of God's Word is medicine. And if God's Word is medicine, if He gave it to us as medicine, that means God's Word will heal you. And we know that God's Word is an equal opportunity employer. Right? Anyone can take a hold of it and receive by faith what God has promised for them. In fact, Jesus said, whosoever will. Whosoever will. Someone say, I'm a whosoever. Reason number two was a strong spirit will sustain you. We read that in Scripture. A strong spirit will sustain you. Reason number three, we looked at God's original creation. How He made it back in the Garden of Eden. There was no sickness present. There was no, no sin present, right? We looked at, at how that He created it like He wanted it to be. And then the fall destroyed what He wanted. You understand? That's when sickness and all of that came into. We looked at God's will in heaven. It says there's not going to be any pain, any dying, any sickness. None of that's going to be in heaven. So that shows us what God's will is in heaven. We know that the new creation to come is going to be that way. And He instructed us to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if there's no sickness in heaven, then that's His will there. You know, if he liked sickness, if sickness was a good thing, because see, a lot of people believe that, well, God will use sickness to teach you. God will use sickness to um, maybe get you where he wants you to be, all these things. And God's not the author of sickness. Now, he can use anything and turn it for your good if you love him and if you're submitted to him, but he's not the one doing it to you to try to teach you a lesson. We, we recognized reason number five was the origin of sickness came from sin. And sin is not of God. Right? We recognized in reason number six that sickness is a work of the devil. We read Scripture after Scripture that detailed that out. That sickness is the work of the devil, not the work of God. Reason number seven, that we believe healing is for everyone, is because of the eternal names of God. In particular, Jehovah Rapha means the God that heals you. And if God didn't want you, everyone to be healed, then why would He call Himself the God that heals? Right? It's God's will that none should perish, talking about your salvation, yet people perish all the time. So His will doesn't just come to pass automatically. There are qualifications for His will to come to pass. People die and go to hell all the time, not because it's God's will they go to hell, not because they were predestinated to hell. Everyone has been predestinated to go to glory and to be with the Father. But not everyone chooses that, right? 
reason number eight is God's covenant of healing. Now, He is not a covenant breaker, is He? God's covenant of healing. Reason number nine is we see that sickness is a part of the curse of the law. You can find that in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, that part of the curse of the law is sickness. Every kind of sickness. And it goes through a whole list of them in the book of Deuteronomy. And then in one t- at one place, Deuteronomy chapter 15, I believe it is. Or is it 28? Somewhere in Deuteronomy. Um, I can give you the Scripture afterwards if you really want to know where it is. But he says every sickness not listed in this book is part of the curse of the law. So that doesn't leave anything out. It doesn't matter if it was invented yesterday or 100 years ago or 2,000 years ago. It's all a part of the curse of the law. And now the good news, because that's what the Gospel is, is reason number 10. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You can find that in Galatians 3.13. He redeemed us from the what? From the curse of the law. What was part of the curse of the law? Sickness. Another thing that's part of the curse of the law is poverty. That's all detailed out in Deuteronomy as well. And we're redeemed from that. Does that mean that you'll never bump up against financial need in your life? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means you have promises and covenant that will deliver you out of that poverty when you come into that situation. Just like we have promises that will deliver you out of sickness and death and destruction and disease if you should come up against that. Reason, uh, we, we ask the question, what about Job? How many remember that sermon? What about Job? Because Job usually comes up in these discussions. And um, we, we looked at Job and his life, and we went through the Scripture, and we saw that one, reason number 11 was because of Job. And if that sounds strange to you, go back and listen to the sermon, and I'm confident you will um, yeah, be blessed. Reason number 12, in the Old Covenant, there were types of redemption, meaning they were a shadow of the redemption that was to come. They signified, the, they were symbols of redemption to come. Well, reason number, th- and in those, those symbols, those shadows, those types, was healing. In, in the types of the future redemption to come, was bodily healing included in that. Well, fast forward into the New Covenant, we have the real deal. No longer a shipe, a shipe, yeah. No, no longer a shadow or a type. <laughs> you know, you can mix words together and say a lot more in a short amount of time. <laughs> so it's no longer a type and a shadow, but it's the real thing, the real redemption. And, and we know that in Isaiah 53, it says that He bore our, our sicknesses and our pains and our sins, and by His wounds we are healed. So in that atonement that He provided for us is everything that you need for redemption. Spiritually, physically, and solically. I don't know if solically is a word, but it is tonight. (laughs) Then we ask the question, what about Paul's thorn? What about Paul's thorn? A lot of people bring that up and they think he had a disease in his eyes and all these things, but... Paul's thorn in the flesh wasn't sickness at all. And we we saw that in Scripture. We looked at it very, very clearly that a thorn in the flesh in Scripture is always referred to as other people. 
And the thorn in the flesh for him was the persecution that was following him around. And everywhere he went, there was revival and riot. Revival and riot. And persecution followed that. And that's what his thorn in the flesh was. And on top of all of that, the grace that God said is enough for him, grace means the ability to overcome. That's what grace is. Grace isn't you being an undercomer. No, it's an overcomer. Right? So you're going to come over it. Reason number 14 was because of the resurrection. He's going to resurrect your body. And that's good news. Resurrection. Reason number 15. That we believe that God wants to heal everyone is because He's a good Father. What father would we call good if they had the ability to heal their child of cancer but chose not to? Because, well, we're just going to teach this child. We're going to develop character in them. So we're going to go ahead and let them suffer through these tumors and this blood cancer and everything that's going on because they're going to learn patience. They're going to learn to trust in God's um, will of what He just wants to come to pass. The un- unknowable will of God, right? Any, any father that would do that in the natural would get sent to prison and would not be viewed as a good father. But yet, that's not who our Father is. He is a good Father. And he, He's not in the business of bringing death, but He is the one who brings life. Reason number 16 was healing is the children's bread. And the Syrophoenician woman that came to Jesus, she wasn't even a Jew. And at first she kind of pretended to be like a Jew, calling Him the proper name and the right, what a Jew might call Him. And uh, Jesus said to her, well, you know, I came to the house of Israel and it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Referring to healing because she was wanting her daughter healed. And so if Jesus refers to healing as the children's bread, you know, bread isn't a fine rare dessert that you only get in certain places of the world. You know, every time I go to Turkey, I look forward to a particular dessert, baklava. And we can buy it here, but it's just not the same. But when you go over there and you have some good Turkish coffee and some good baklava, man, that'll make any bad day be a good day. <laughs> but healing is not like baklava. That rare, fine dessert that you only get on occasion. Healing is a staple. It's the children's bread. It's their right. It's the everyday occurrence. Every meal occurrence. And so, healing is the children's bread. And if you know the story, you know that she received the healing for her daughter. Because she said, yeah, she might be a dog, but don't the dogs at least get the crumbs? Recognizing that just a crumb of the main staple of the, of the meal, the bread, would be enough to do what she needed done. And Jesus commended her on her faith. And she received what she had come for. Reason number 17 was because of the mercy of God. God is very merciful. Again and again, we see sick people come to Jesus and say, have mercy on me. And His response was to heal them. Which shows us Jesus was always the exact exact expression, the exact image, the perfect example of what God's will is in the earth. And so when someone came and said, have mercy on me, his response was heal them. Heal them. Reason number 18 is because of the authority over demons and disease. You know, he gave the disciples authority over demons and sickness and disease. But then he gave you and I that same authority. 
And he said that we're going to cast out devils. The believers will in Mark 16. You can read about it. And that we have authority over these things. Reason number 19 is because of the laying on of hands. This is a doctrine in the Bible. The laying on of hands. In fact, in Mark 16, which we just referenced, he, Jesus said that these signs will follow the believers. And He ends it with saying, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They will recover. So we have promises for this. And then finally, reason number 20, why we're certain that healing is the will of God for everyone, is because of faith. Because of faith. And we've had, I had uh, Apostle Dale preach a sermon on faith. I preached some sermons on faith. And it's important that we understand all these promises aren't going to be of any value to us if we cannot appropriate them and make them our own. There's people that die from sickness all the time. There's people that are in poverty. There's people that die and go to hell because they simply do not have faith and believe in what the Word says to them. Jesus said, it's according to your faith. Let it be done to you. He said this again and again and again, right? In Scripture, let it be done to you according to your faith. And then they would receive what they, they had faith for. What's provided by grace, must be received by faith. What God provided for you already by grace, you're going to have to appropriate it by faith. So, let's go on further tonight and let's ask another question. Actually, before we do that, let's read in Luke 5. Luke 5 and verse 12. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had a serious skin disease all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if... Everyone say, if. So there's a question in this man's mind. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He is not questioning the ability of God. He is questioning the desire of God. If you are willing, you can make me clean. You know, because maybe I'm too much of a rascal. Maybe I haven't earned it. Maybe I've lived too sinfully in my past. Listen, if the blood of Jesus is applied to your life, your past is of no account. And so Jesus, reaching out His hand, He touched Him saying, I am willing, be made clean, and immediately the disease left Him. So here we see that Jesus is willing. Is He willing to heal you? So now this goes on into our next question. What about doctors and medicine? Can we be in faith for healing and also go to a doctor? Or if you're in faith for healing, does that mean that you'll throw the medicine into the trash can? If you're in faith for something, can you be in faith And can you go to the doctor at the same time? How many of you here, let's just be real transparent with each other, how many of you here have had this this on the inside of you, the question of, you know, should I just believe God or should I go to the doctor? How many of you? I mean, look around. Almost all the hands are up. So this is a question that we need answers to. Can we go to the doctor and be in faith? Is it an either-or question? 
or is it a both and? And so we're going to look at Scripture, which is the habit of what we do. I mean, you know, if you're going to carry the name of Church of the Word, you better get into the Word, right? And have Word to back up your positions. And if international is in the name, we better be mission-minded too, right? Locally and abroad. What about doctors and medicine? You know, there's whole denominations that teach you shouldn't go to the doctor. Out in Colorado where we lived, there was a church called Church of the Firstborn. And um, they believed that you don't go to the doctor. And they got in trouble with the law because one of their little ones got sick and so they were believing God and wouldn't go to the doctor and the child died so the state stepped in. Shipped him off to prison for a bit. Not the child, the parents. And it was a big deal. This would have been back in maybe about 2001, maybe somewhere back in there. And um, so there are people that believe that way. And if you go back a hundred years or more, you'll see a lot of the really famous names that we enjoy listening to and reading about. Famous preachers, they taught that you should not go to a doctor. So is that right? What does the Bible say about it? There's always safety in the Word. Did you know that? You know, God created our body, you and I's body, to heal, to repair itself. He built our body to be... I mean, you can take and you can cut cut yourself and man all of a sudden all these little cells that you can't even see with your eyes gather together and they communicate with each other and they start to clot off the blood veins to make so that you're not going to lose all your blood and and then if any infection tries to come in boy you have all these other little cells that get together and beat up on the bad guys trying to make the infection right and there's this whole amazing chain of events that happens for your body to be knit back together and healed whether a doctor's involved or not. So God already created your body with a built-in system to heal and to repair. Did you know that God can take that process and speed it up? He can put it on steroids and speed it up to where what would normally take six weeks to heal a broken bone might take a week. Might take a couple days. Maybe it'll be in an instant. Healed in a moment. Right? And so, it's the same process, the same healing process, it's just faster. Or if it's at the normal speed, for a bone would be, what, six weeks or something. You know, I remember I had um, surgery on my left knee, and um, I had torn my ACL and MCL, and, and so they came in and, and um, you know, I tried to believe God for, for healing for it. And, but I knew that I would go to the doctor if I couldn't get healed by the Lord. And so I allowed that to hamstring my faith. And hamstring is, is a pun here because they did take my hamstring to create a ligament for my knee. And so I, I kept trying to believe God for this all the time knowing that you know if it doesn't work, you know faith never tries anything. No, that's right. Faith doesn't try things. Knowing that if it doesn't work, I'm going to go to the doctor and get it fixed because I'm not going to live this way. And so eventually the date, the date was already set with the doctor, you understand. So the date comes and I go in and, and, and for the surgery and they do the surgery. Now, I knew that there's no way to be healed, recover faster than the normal speed of recovery without God's help. It's not like the doctors can do anything to make you recover faster. You recover at the speed you recover. And so now it's not like I have a plan B that I can go to the doctor and fix the recovery issue. 
and we were financially we were just like in a lot of trouble at the time and and I was he told me I would be off of work for weeks and weeks and I'd be in crutches for weeks and weeks and all of these things and so uh, I go and get the surgery and, and a friend of mine and I we prayed and we said all right I said my faith is that that I can recover supernaturally quickly that the Lord's going to speed up these healing processes, that it's not going to take the whole how many weeks He's saying it's going to take, but it's going to happen very, very quickly. And so they laid hands on me. We prayed. We believed that. And when I came home from the hospital, and um, I was back um, at work a week. I was off of crutches like in two or three days. And they had said that I'd be on crutches for weeks. I mean, the Lord just just sped that up for me. Now, what was the difference between then and before the surgery? Trying to get the whole ball of wax healed. Faith was the difference. I had faith for one. I didn't have it for the other one. Because I knew I can get this handled another way if I have to. And so, after the fact, the healing and everything takes place, and uh, I'm recovered. I'm a year later playing sports, and someone plows into me at home plate, I was playing catcher, and it goes out again. And you guys have heard the story, most of you have, of how that I stood for two weeks upon the Word of God, and my knee was just a blown out mess, and, and was in a very difficult situation. And two weeks into it, of believing the Word, and I had said, this time I'm not going to the doctor. This time, I don't care if I spend the rest of my life this way, I'm getting my healing from the Lord. And it took two weeks to be an overnight success. Because <laughs> I went to bed one night and the next morning woke up and he was completely healed, not a trace of it. Now, if we start to make our experiences theology, we might say, well, the mistake was going to the doctor. If we begin to look at what have I experienced in the past and what has worked in the past, rather than looking at well, what does the Word say about it, I could very quickly start building a doctrine that, yeah, see, as soon as I swore off going to a doctor, in two weeks' time, I was healed. I mean, it, it didn't happen over a period of two weeks. It went for two weeks of nothing being any better and then overnight being completely gone. So sped up and healed in an instant. So we're not going to use our experiences to determine what's God's will. Because that will get us off into the weeds and pucker bushes just real fast. But instead we're going to see and look at the Word. Let's go over to Second Chronicles 14. You know, sometimes we're just lazy in our faith. We wouldn't call it that. We would call it waiting on the Lord. We just want it to fall on us like ripe cherries off a tree, right? We just want it to happen. We don't want a lot to be required of us. We don't want to have to go through all the pains of standing in faith. The effort of standing. Faith is a fight. It's called the good fight of faith for a reason. It doesn't just happen easily or for the lazy. You know, I'm reminded of the story uh, in the late 1800s of this guy that lived in, in a town in the Midwest and he was just as lazy as all get out. I mean, he wouldn't do anything for himself. And the town people kept feeding him, but then one year a drought came along and now they were having trouble feeding themselves. And they're getting into a bad situation, the whole town of them, and they decided that they're going to stop feeding this guy. And so he 
kept asking them for food. They finally got desperate enough and tired enough. A few of the guys in town got together and said, we're going to get rid of this guy. And so they went and got a coffin and took him, and he didn't even resist. They just put him in the coffin, loaded him up in the wagon, and started driving out of town. They were going to go out and bury him because he just doesn't deserve to live anymore was their philosophy. Well, on the outskirts of town, they, they met one of the farmers that just lived outside of town, and he asked them, he said, what are you guys doing? Where are you going? said, oh, we're going to bury a lazy sack of bones back here because he won't do anything for himself. And, and the word says if you won't work, you shouldn't eat, so we're just going to help him out and bury him. And the farmer said, well, he said, I, I have a, a, load of, a wagon load of corn back at the barn that he could have. You know, he could sell that and he could make some income on it and um, he'd be able to survive over the winter. And about that time, the coffin lid creaked open. And this guy sits up and he said, is it shelled? <laughs> and the farmer said, no, it's not shelled. You'd have to shell it, but you can shell it and then sell it and live on it. And that old boy in the coffin, he just laid back down and said, drive on, boys, drive on. But see, sometimes we're that way in our faith. If it's not going to just happen automatically for us, we don't want it. We don't want to do what's required of us to, to dig into the Word and to find what is the promise for me and, and how does it apply in my life and get before the Lord and say, what's my part of this? What's my responsibility for this? And then do whatever painful thing is necessary for you to lay hold of the promise. And so we need to not be lazy. Alright, in Second Chronicles in, in verse 2 of chapter 14, here's the story of King Asa. Speaking of doctors and the power of God, this is what we're going to work towards. And I want to give you a little bit of background about King Asa. You know, King Asa says in verse 2, he did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the pagan altars in the high places. He shattered their sacred pillars and chopped down the Asherah poles. He told the people of Judah to seek the Lord God of their ancestors and to carry out the instruction and the command. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom experienced peace under him. Because the land experienced peace, Asa built fortified cities in Judah. No one made war with him in those days because the Lord gave him rest. So he said to the people of Judah, let's build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, with doors and bars. The land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God. We sought Him and He gave us rest on every side. So they built and succeeded. Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah bearing large shields and spears, 280,000 from Benjamin bearing regular shields and drawing the bow. So we've got Spearmen, and we've got archers. And he has a total of 580,000 foot soldiers. They were all brave warriors. Verse 9 then says, Zerah the Cushite came out against them with an army of 1 million men and 300 chariots. Now chariots of their day were tanks of our day, you understand. that They're bad news for a foot soldier. And... Some translations, if you look at this, says 30,000 chariots. So I'm not sure if it was 300 or 30,000, but it was a whole lot. And plus a million-man army he's got going on here. And they came as far as Marsha. So Asa marched out against him and lined up in battle formation in the valley of Zephath at Marsha. Then Asa cried out to the Lord his God. 
Lord, there is no one besides you to help the mighty and those without strength. Help us, Lord our God, for we depend on you. And in your name, we have come against this multitude. Lord, you are our God. Do not let a mere mortal hinder you. So the Lord routed the Cushites before Asa and before Judah, and the Cushites fled. Then Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gura. The Cushites fell until they had no survivors, for they were crushed before the Lord and before his army. So the people of Judah carried off a great supply of loot. Then they attacked all the cities around Gura because the terror of the Lord was on them, and they also plundered all the cities, since there was a great deal of plunder in them. They also attacked the tents and herdsmen and captured many sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. So great victory. Great spoils of war. I mean, there is loot running out of everywhere. And so Asa, King Asa, is, he knows that God is real. He knows that he keeps his promises. He has experienced the miracle deliverance of the Lord. He knows, all right, who God is. Now let's let's keep on going here. Um, actually, if we would read the first couple verses in fifteen, a prophet of the Lord comes to him and encourages him and says, "Because you did this, the Lord's going to be with you. But if the day comes that you stop trusting in the Lord, then you will be turned over to all the bad things." And so now let's jump down to chapter 16 and verse 7. Now, what had happened in the meantime is another king came out to go to war against him. And he decided, well, I'm going to just pay off my neighboring king um, to deal with this for me. He didn't seek the Lord. He didn't see, Lord, what do you want me to do? He just handled it in his own strength. Well, in 16 verse 7, the prophet Haniah, Haniah, I'm not sure how to say that, but one of those, the, the seer came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, because you depended on the king of Aram and have not depended on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hands. And then he reminds him about this other victory that they'd had. And in verse 9 he says, the eyes of the Lord ranged throughout the earth to show himself strong for those whose hearts are completely His. Those whose hearts are completely His. Not double-minded. Not double-minded. Well, it says in verse 11, um, well, actually, let's read verse 10. Uh, 9. So, hearts are completely His. You have been foolish in this matter. From now on, you will have wars. He's given him the word of the Lord. Let's look at his response. How many of you remember the sermon we had about um, receiving and appreciating correction and rebuke, right? That we need to be quick to receive it. And we need to like it according to what the word says. Well, he didn't like it. And uh, here's what happens to the people that don't like it. Verse 10, Asa was angry with the seer, the prophet, and put him in prison because of his anger over this. And Asa mistreated some of the people at that time. Note, the events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written about in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a disease in his feet. And his disease became increasingly severe. Yet even in his disease, he didn't seek the Lord, but rather the physicians. Asa died in the 41st year of his reign and rested with his father. So he made the fatal mistake of looking to man for his deliverance rather than to the Lord. 
It cost him his life. I mean, could the Lord have healed him? If he'd have just went to the Lord, do you think the Lord might have healed him? Strong possibility of it. Because he had covenant. He could have went to the priest and said, you know, the Lord says that He's going to heal me and look to the Lord. Does that mean that he wouldn't have went to the doctor? No, not necessarily. You just shouldn't place your trust in the doctor. Don't replace your trust and confidence in the Lord with trust and confidence in a doctor. You know, a doctor can't heal anybody. In fact, if you go in for surgery, you're going to need to be healed. I mean, you come out of there and you're cut open and tied together and all this stuff going on, and now you need healing. Even though they maybe did a good surgery for you, but they can't heal you. It's only by the power of God that He put in motion in your body that you heal, or if He speeds it up. See, going to the doctor of faith, and we're going to look at a lot more Scriptures yet, and we're going to go quickly, is not an either-or. It's not either faith or, or, or medicine. It's not faith or doctor, or faith or surgery. It's not like that. You can do all things in faith. And your faith can make all things possible, is what Jesus said. And that if you believe, if you can believe, there is that IF in there, if you can believe, all things are possible to you. So it's not an either or equation, it's you always go to God first. First the Lord. I remember right after we got a hold of this truth on healing, why Adrian, he was, um, I don't know, horsing around in the living room, which is normal, and uh, he jumped and dove over something and caught his head on the, on the corner of maybe the coffee table or piano bench. All right, those are pretty square corners. And man, he splits his eye wide open. And I mean, he is bleeding a lot. And um, Jen, she quickly became of no value in the situation <laughs> because she was over there trying to faint. So I'm trying to catch blood. It's on a white carpet, trying to get him to the sink, trying to, you know, all this stuff. Because yeah, blood doesn't bother me that way. And, <laughs> and yeah, it's gapped open really big. And it just continues to bleed. And he is like screaming bloody murder. You know, I mean, how old is he? Five, I thought. Yeah, five years old. And, and it's hurting him a lot. And so I, I looked at it. I said, all right, we're going to pray. And then we're going to give the Lord an opportunity to close this thing up right here, right now. And then we'll go to the doctor. So I laid hands on it, commanded the pain to stop, commanded the bleeding to stop, told it to be healed in Jesus' name. And he just shut off crying just like a switch. And I look at it, and it's still gaped wide open. But all the bleeding stopped. I said, does it hurt? He goes, no. All pain had stopped. But there was a part of it that wasn't fixed, right? So I said, all right, get in the car. We took him down. They stitched it up, and it healed up. And if you look closely, you can still see a scar. But my point is, is our first place to reach out to was the Lord. And did you know that there are many times that He'll require something of you? In this case, He took the pain, but He also gave us the ability to pay for the surgery He had. Tying it all back together, right?
So it's not an either-or equation. You're always going to go to God first, whether it be money, whether it be family, whether it be about your kids, whether it be about your business, whether it be about your health. Any need you have, go to the Lord first. Find the Scripture that applies to your situation and stand on that. And from there, you say, what next, Lord? I learned a phrase from, from Pastor Dale years ago, and I've never forgotten it, and it continues to be one of the staples of my phrases now, and that is pray and obey. Pray and obey. I mean, how simple is that? To keep things simple. Pray, talk to the Lord about it, and then say, what's my part in it? In Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, reading verses 5-8, through 8, this is what the Lord says. Listen to this. The man who trusts in mankind, who makes human flesh his strength and turns his heart from the Lord, is cursed. So the one who looks to man as his deliverer, mankind as his strength, is cursed. Verse 6, He will be like a juniper in the Abara. He cannot see when good comes, but dwells in the parched place in the wilderness in a salt land where no one lives. The man, on the flip side though, the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. Is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends out its roots toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes, and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. The one who trusts in the Lord. One of the, and something I should probably mention as we go through here. You know, not every sickness is from natural causes only. Some sicknesses are, are demonically put upon a person. And you remember the story of the woman that had a spirit of infirmity. Jesus first dealt with the spirit. He spoke to it. Commanded it to leave. Then He laid hands on her and she was healed. And so, depending on the situation, you know, another time, he spit in a guy's eyes, mixed mud in with it, and told him, a blind guy, imagine that, and then told him, go across town and wash. Like, go all the way through town with all this mud and spit dripping off your face and go wash over there. So, it wasn't always the same method that he used. Sometimes he spoke. Sometimes he laid hands on him. Sometimes he just said, according, be it unto you according to your faith. And whatever they'd asked for was now theirs. And their child was well or whatever the situation was. So, not every sickness is only from natural causes. Some are from spiritual causes. However, God is the deliverer and healer in both cases. In both cases. And it's why it's important to say, Lord, how should I handle this one? Because not every case is the same. Not even in your own life even is every case the same. So let's cover um, some Scriptures quickly. I'm not going to ask you to turn to these. I'm just going to read them. But in Genesis chapter 50 is the story of Joseph. Now Joseph's father dies and Joseph must have had some doctors that were his doctors. And... It says that he commanded his servants who were physicians to embalm his father. His father had passed away. So, so they embalmed him. So here is a mention of physicians in Scripture where Joseph had physicians. In Jeremiah 8.22, it says this, Is there no balm in Gilead 
And you know what a balm is, right? It's like a, a, um, a salve. That's right. Like a salve or a medicine we might call it. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? So why has the healing of my dear people not come about? Is the question. Or as Jesus put it, we're reading Scriptures about doctors, about physicians. Jesus said this in Matthew 9, verse 12. He says, when He heard this, He said, those, this is Jesus' words, those who are well don't need a doctor. But the sick do. The sick do need a doctor. Did Jesus just say that sick people need a doctor? Yeah. He said the healed people don't need doctors. Well people don't need a doctor. It's a sick person that needs a doctor. In fact, in, in Luke, a Dr. Luke, I might add, wrote this in, in chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. He said it also. He said Jesus replied to them, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So he's making an analogy. Now, if doctor is contrary, going to the doctor is contrary to faith, would Jesus have used this as an analogy? If going to the doctor was a bad thing, and you can't be in faith and go to the doctor, he wouldn't have made this comment. In fact, Colossians 4, let's just keep building on that. Colossians 4, Paul talks about Dr. Luke. And he gives him a certain name. And he calls him, in, in verse 14, he says, Luke, the dearly loved physician. Luke, the dearly loved doctor. Now, this is years after Luke has been born again. Years after his conversion. Years after he has been involved with Paul and his ministry and traveling with Paul all over the known world at that time. And yet, Paul calls him the beloved Physician. He didn't say Luke, the former physician. He didn't say Pastor Luke or Apostle Luke. I mean, he could have. Those would have applied to him. He could have said Evangelist Luke. But he didn't. He chose to say Dr. Luke. And Luke didn't say, no, 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 that was before I was born. You need to lay the past down. Stop reminding me of my former sinful life. But he didn't do that, right? Luke had seen all kinds of miracles. He'd witnessed all kinds of healings. And yet he's still going by title Dr. Luke. Interesting, isn't it? Do you think Luke was in faith? Do you think Paul was in faith? So going to the doctor is not anti-faith. It's not anti-God. It could be. It could be. But it doesn't have to be. It's not one or the other. Faith or Medicine. In fact, if you go to the doctor, you better be in faith. They call it a practice for a reason. So everything you do ought to be done in faith. Of course, after you've had a talk with the great physician, go to the doctor in faith. Take the medicine in faith. Speak to your body when you take that medicine, if you're taking medicine. Medicine, you do your job. You bring the life and change into my body that you were designed to. Thank you, Lord, that no negative effects of this are hurting my body, but my body receives it in a helpful way. Put your faith to it. Have the surgery in faith. 
If you're not in faith, you better not do it. You know, Scripture says that what's not of faith is sin. Sin. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 8, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways, or acknowledge Him in all your ways, or consider Him in all your ways. It's, does that leave any way out? So whether you're buying a new refrigerator, going to the doctor, changing a prescription, consider the Lord. Don't lean on your own strength. Don't lean on your own knowledge. Don't lean on expert so-and-so's knowledge. Lean on the Lord. He goes on and he says, and He will guide you on the right paths. Not the wrong path. Not the path that will get you killed. The right path. Don't consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And look at the result. This will be healing in your body and strengthening for your bones. By acknowledging the Lord and saying, Lord, direct me. Show me. What do I do? How should I do it? So again, pray and obey. In faith, you obey. You take action. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. Don't put your eyes on any man. Not even a pastor. Not a preacher. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Ask for direction. Do you think the Lord knows about automobiles? He knows what it takes to fix them? Do you think He knows about plumbing or electrical? I mean, He knows more about electrical current and wires than all of us put together. And what we do know about it is because He's given us the ability to see it. The revelation for it. And in these things, whether it be you know, plumbing, whether it be electric, or whether it be your car, ask the Lord, how, well, how should I deal with this? Nothing is an automatic. Well, call the plumber. Well, maybe. Maybe it just needs plunged. Maybe it just needs plunged. Right over the weekend, we were at my, my mother's house, and I wasn't at home, and, and the toilet got clogged up. And so they called me and said, hey, the toilet's clogged up. And I said, well, I'm not a plumber. No, they didn't say toilet, toilets, because it was multiple bathrooms were all backed up. And so it seems like a deeper issue problem somewhere, right? And I know in the past she's had issue with this where roots would grow into the pipe out in the yard and would fill that whole pipe up and it plugged things up. Well, so I said, I'm not a plumber. Call a plumber. So the plumber comes out and he looks at the outside pipe and in the cleanouts and there's nothing in there. So he goes in and plunges the toilet and fixed it. Now do you think we could have done that if we'd have just paused for a moment and said, Lord, is there an answer here? Ask the Lord, should I take that medicine? The Lord might tell you to stop taking a medicine. Should I get that operation? Should I go to the doctor? Or maybe we'll just go along. I like that one. Wasn't near as much rejoicing as I was hoping there would be. <laughs> Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Can medicine do good? A joyful heart is good medicine, is what the Spirit of the Lord says. He wouldn't call something good medicine, would He? If, there was, if all medicine was bad. 
If all medicine was not in faith, if all medicine was the opposite, anti-God, he wouldn't call something good medicine. Because if he did, someone might get the wrong idea. Jeremiah 30, verse 13 in the New King James says, There is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. Jeremiah 51, verse 8, talking about Babylon. says, Get balm for her wound. That would be medicine. Perhaps she can be healed. Now, I understand that he, this is, he's not talking about physically healing. Physical healing. He is using it as a metaphor. However, recognize that physical realities, he's using physical realities to make spiritual analogies. Right? And so he's talking about the medicine and healing to make a spiritual truth come alive to you. But he wouldn't do that if you might get the wrong idea because he's talking about it like it might be okay if it wasn't okay. If medicine was bad. If bombs were bad. If doctors were bad. No, the Lord's using a good thing to describe another even better thing. Ezekiel 47 verse 12. Listen to this verse. Now this is, this is still in the future. It says, All kinds of trees providing food will grow along both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. Each month they will bear fresh fruit because the water comes from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be used for food and their leaves for medicine. See, the natural realm and the spiritual realm are more closely linked than we often think. Second Kings. Let's go over there to chapter 2 and look at two scenarios. Second Kings chapter 2. And down in about verse 19. The men of the city said to Elisha, Even though our Lord can see that the city's location is good, the water is bad and the land unfruitful. He replied, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. Now salt is a type of covenant. You can see that in Leviticus 2.13. It's a preservative. Um, he goes, after they brought him one, Elisha went out to the spring of water, threw salt in it, and said, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. No longer will death or unfruitfulness result from it. Therefore, the water remains healthy to this very day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. Now, why would he combine natural elements? Could he have healed that spring of water without the salt? Could he have done it without the salt's help? Just healed the spring of water? Yeah, of course, sure he could. But he had them use salt with the Word of the Lord. Had them use a medicine, if you will, with the Word of the Lord to bring change to the whole situation. Who made the salt? The Lord did. Who made the mud and the spit when He put it on the blind guy's eyes? Jesus did. So the key... In all of this, what we're talking about, what about doctors and medicine, is do what He tells you. Do what He tells you. Let's go over to chapter 4. 2 Kings 4 and down in about verse 38. When Elisha returned to Gilgal, there was a famine in the land. The sons of the prophets were sitting at his feet. Now, understand, what does famine mean? It means people are hungry. Lack of food, lack of things, lack of supplies. So the sons of the prophets are sitting at his feet, and he said to his attendant, Put on the large pot and make stew for the sons of the prophets. 
One went out to the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine from which he gathered as many wild gourds as his garment would hold. Then he came back and cut them up, put them into the pot of stew, but they were unaware of what they were. It might be wise, don't eat it if you don't know what it is, right? There's wisdom all over in this. Verse 40, they served some of the men to eat, but when they ate the stew, they cried out, there's death in the pot, man of God, and they were unable to eat it. Now what's our first response if something is poisonous? Probably throw it out, right? We're not going to try to put in some flour or, or something like that to, you know, make it better. We're just probably going to throw it away. But maybe not so fast, especially because they're in a time of need. It's not like they got another can of soup down in the basement canned and ready to go. Right? This is famine time. They need the food. And so Elisha said in verse 41, get some meal. And he threw it into the pot and said, serve it for the people to eat. And there was nothing bad in the pot. How many of you would have liked to have been the first person in line? <laughs> Poison, throw in some flour, eat it. Could God have fixed it without the meal? Yeah, He could have. Let's go on and read verse 42. A man from Baal Shalishah came to the man of God with his sack full of 20 loaves of barley. Bread from the first bread of the harvest. And Elisha said, give it to the people to eat. But Elisha's attendant asked, what? Am I to set 20 loaves before 100 men? Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. For this is what the Lord says. They will eat. Now he's speaking the word of the Lord. They will eat and they will have some left over. So he gave it to them and as the Lord had promised, they ate and some was left over. Again, following what the Lord said to do. Multiplied it. There was need. They looked to the Lord first. And He answered. Remember the story of King Hezekiah? How he was sick. Prophet Isaiah comes to him says, you're not going to recover. The Word of the Lord is you're going to die. And so the prophet cries out. I'm not the prophet. The king cries out. King Hezekiah cries out to the Lord and asks Him for mercy and asks Him for more life. And so the Word of the Lord comes back to the prophet. The prophet comes back to to Hezekiah and says, okay, the Lord heard your prayer and you're going to be healed and you're going to live X amount of more years and here's the signs that you're going to see to show that it's true. However, if you look down in about verse 21 of chapter 38, he says this, Now Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of pressed figs and apply it to his infected skin so that he may recover. So Isaiah is instructing them to use medicine. Now, what changed in Hezekiah's sickness from you're not going to recover, you're going to die, to oh, you're going to recover and not die? Faith, that's right. And the Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. So, does the Lord need the pressed figs, the medicine, to get Him healed? No. But isn't it normal for the Lord to require something of you as well? To take an action on your, on your side of it. And He knows what our body... He knows the composition of our body. He knows exactly the cellular structure of everything. What it's lacking in. What it's anemic in. What it needs. Right? He knows those things. And so we go to Him. And we ask Him. See, it's not... Never has been about what God can do. 
You do not receive based on His ability. You receive based on your faith. Based upon what you believe. So where is your faith? Locate your faith. Where is it? What am I confident about? What am I sure about? Paul, going further with with medicine, or using natural means. You understand what I'm saying? Natural means to affect a situation that the Lord could just go zappo and is healed in an instant. Right? Modern means. Well, um, natural means, I mean. In 1 Timothy in chapter 5, in verse 23, Paul gives Timothy some instruction. Because apparently Timothy's having some stomach issues and he's being sick a lot. And there's some issues in his stomach. And so he says this, Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Could God have healed him without the wine? Of course He could. Then why did the Spirit of God tell him to drink some wine for his stomach? To help his stomach? A lot of people don't like that verse because it goes against their theology on alcohol. See, if you don't like the verse, there's nothing wrong with the verse. There's just something wrong with your thinking. And this is not a license to get drunk. Scripture very clearly calls drunkenness a sin and being drunk. We shouldn't do things that alter our mind like that. It very clearly says a little wine. Not a lot. So when a question arises to you, well, what should I do? Well, there may be something that you need to take that will help your situation. Something that you can do. You know, I I like how Keith Moore says, the answer to a million and one questions. Does anyone know what it is? The answer to a million and one questions is be led. Be led. That'll answer every question. Be led. Check in with the Lord. What do I do about this? You know, I, um, I told you this story a year ago or the beginning of it. And, um, but a number of years ago, I, well, ever since I was a child, as long as I can remember, I dealt with heartburn. And that's where acids from your stomach come up into your esophagus and it burns and sometimes it'd come all the way up to my mouth. And I mean, there, I would get it usually for about like two weeks at a time of just suffering like crazy and then it would be gone for a month and that sort of thing. Well, fast forward years into about 2013 and it developed an ulcer in my stomach. So I go to the doctor. Doctor puts me, um, gives me a prescription of omeprazole. 40, 40 milligrams of omeprazole a day. And so took that, voila, problem solved. No more suffering. Life is grand. And it's a whole lot easier to take that little pill, which actually takes, tastes nice if you get the right kind, to take that little pill than just believe God for my healing. So I can be lazy with this thing instead of digging down and saying, you know, I really want to be healed from this and not require the medication. But I'd also at some point through the... Well, when I first went on it, the doctor told me that there are some, some side effects of it that are possible. How many are familiar with that? You know, you watch the, the television ad and, or, or hear it on the radio and they have, you know, the whatever product that they're advertising and everyone's all smiles and life is great in the ad and then in the fine print or 
real fast in the background, you hear them rattling off the 208 reasons that will probably kill you if you take the medication. But life is great. <laughs> that. So she says to me, she says, um, just so you know, that this has caused for some people, it has caused them to um, get something like, uh, I forget, where your bones get thin. That. Where, where your bones thin down and become kind of brittle and thin and weaker. But, she said, it's just been found to happen that way in women and in older women. So you should be fine. Okay, great. Well, that was about 2013, and so I've been taking this, you know, all the way up until last year, beginning of last year. And for about a year, year and a half prior to last year, I started having this coming up in me that I should get off that medication. I should do what's required of me to get off the medication. And, of course, because I was lazy, like that guy laying in the coffin, it's just easier to take the medication. I mean, it's cheap. You can buy a whole month's supply real cheaply at Walmart. And... Um, so I'm not doing anything, but yet that little gnawing is there. Whenever I come, whenever you know this comes up for me, it's like you should stop. And so then my wife starts telling it to me: "You need to really quit taking that medication. I just think it's bad for you." Well, thanks. Don't speak death over me, you know. Uh, I'm just going to take the medication. Believe God that it doesn't have any negative effects on me. But see, if the Lord's trying to tell you stop taking it, you can't believe your God to, for it not to harm you. So I spent probably a year and a half, even my mom, maybe two years, I don't know, even my mom was telling me, you need to stop using that medication. Well, finally, I said, all right, Lord, I'm done. I, I want to quit taking this medication. I want to be healed. I want your healing power. I mean, sure, I'd prayed for healing. I'd even went forward and had hands laid on me, but, you know, I still had heartburn the next day, so whatever. I'll just take the pills. Well... I say all of that to say this. Finally, I yield to that scratching on the inside. So, what can I do? So, I felt like the Lord, and I asked the Lord, what should I do? What's my part? Do I just quit? You know, I've tried that, and that's just miserable. And I just suffer like crazy. And the Lord says, cut your dose in half. So, I started taking 20 milligrams a day. After a week of suffering, 20 milligrams was enough. My body adjusted, 20 was enough. And so after a couple of weeks of being used to that, I asked the Lord, well, I didn't ask the Lord, I just decided I'm going to quit taking it. If this is how it works, step by step, I'm just going to quit taking the medication and, and let the Lord touch me, you know, and I'm going to come out of it. Well, a week of just suffering and being completely miserable, and I'm talking to the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, you know, what am I missing? What's my part in this? Now, is the Lord able to just zappo, heal it in a moment, and it to be a done story and nothing but history? Yeah, it is. Many of us have experienced healings. I've experienced healings that way. Jen has experienced healings that way. Many of you have. Well, in this case, the Lord said to me, start intermittent fasting. Start intermittent fasting, and that will allow your stomach time to heal between meals, to, to empty out, to reset. Okay, so I start intermittent fasting, and immediately, I don't have the problem anymore. Now, it doesn't mean that the problem wasn't there, but dealing with it this way made so the problem didn't flare up. And so that was a year, um, a year ago, and February was a year ago that I started that. And the Lord still hasn't released me from stopping the intermittent fasting, so five days a week I do intermittent fasting, on the weekends I don't. 
And I'm not dealing with heartburn either. So would the Lord ever tell you to take a medicine? Sure. Would He tell you not to take one? Yeah. The important part isn't medicine or not. It's, Lord, what do I do? What's my part? And to be sensitive to what He's directing you and then take a step of faith, in faith, and do that. Now real quickly, I'm going to list because we're, we're, we're late. I'm going to list five reasons that word of faith people often do not go to a doctor. Five reasons that people of faith won't go to a doctor. Reason number one is because of fear. They're afraid of the doctor. They're afraid of the surgery. They're afraid of dying. They're afraid of the pain. They're afraid of the recovery. You name it. But because of fear. The unfortunate thing is a lot of times it's camouflaged with faith. I'm just going to believe God. And really, they just won't admit they're afraid. But you know how to deal with fear and how to overcome that. We've had many, many teachings on that. Reason number two that people sometimes don't go to the doctor is because of money. Which sometimes is boiled down to fear as well. Fear of the doctor bill. Fear of not being able to pay for it. Meanwhile, they keep putting it off because we don't have the money. They keep putting it off because, well, I'm just going to believe God. I don't have the money, so I could either believe God for the money or believe God for the healing, so I'm just going to believe God for the healing. And I really don't want to go in there anyway and spend all that money. And meanwhile, down on the inside is that little gnawing going on. You really need to go to the doctor. You really ought to get this taken care of. You really ought to get this looked at. That's your spirit trying to tell you something. Saying, hey, do something about this. The way to tell if it's peace or fear, or I mean faith or fear, is if it's fear, there's not going to be any peace with it. And every time you think of it, there's that low-level, low-lying dread attached to it. That, that dread that's just in the background there. And that's fear. So, so get rid of that. Uh, reason number three that sometimes people aren't going to the doctor is because of pride. Pride. Well, what are people going to think if I go to the doctor? I preach faith. I teach faith. I teach that the Lord wants to heal everyone. So just muscle through it. Believe God. And don't go to the doctor. Right? That can be pride. Very quickly it can be pride. Reason number four is because of confusion. Confusion on the question of is it an either or? You know, they, they sincerely want to please the Lord. They don't want to let Him down. They want to be in faith, knowing that what's not of faith is of sin. And so they want to get it right, but they're confused on it. And so, therefore, because of that confusion, sometimes they're perilous, and so nothing happens. However, I would submit to you this. Do what you're able to do. Go to the Lord and do what you're able to do. You know, when we read about King Asa, he went out to meet the army with his army and he cried out to the Lord. He did what he was able, but his trust and confidence was in the Lord. Are you hearing me? So do what you're able to do. Here's an example. If you get a splinter in your finger, and you have a tweezers right here, and you could easily just... Remove the splinter. Do surgery, get rid of the splinter, right? Are you going to just believe God and say, no, I'm just going to faith my way through this? 
I'm just going to believe God for the splinter to be removed, even though you have the ability to deal with it. So pick up the splinter, believe God to steady your hand, believe God to quickly heal that finger over and done with when you get the splinter out. But whatever you do, do it in faith. And then reason number five, people, that, people don't go to a doctor, especially people of faith, is because of faith. Because of faith. Because they just know, I don't need to. It's already taken care of. I don't need to. It's not necessary. I am confident in the Lord's promise to me that it's mine and that I don't need to go. I talked to the Lord. He said it's already handled. Right? That would be a reason not to go to a doctor. Yeah. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? You can find that in Matthew 5. I'll read it to you. While you're turning there, we're going to have communion in just a moment. So, let's have uh, Daryl and Reba. Maybe you guys could uh, pass this side over here. And um, Kevin and Millie, do you want to pass out to this side over here? Make sure everyone gets some. And we have a lot of people here tonight. Hopefully there's enough bread. Um, but we're going to believe that there's enough. Maybe you need to break it and give half of it to your neighbor. So in, in Mark chapter 5, now before I read this, remember those words that Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible. If you can believe. Here's the story of this woman that had been bleeding for 12 years in verse 26. She had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. Endured much under not just one doctor, not two, not three. It says many doctors. At their wit's end. I don't know. It's incurable. She spends all her money trying to find this cure. And she doesn't get, she's not helped at all. It says in verse 26, on the contrary, she became worse. She became worse. Has anyone ever experienced that? Having heard about Jesus, she came behind Him in the crowd and touched His robe. For she said, this is what she was telling herself, if I can just touch His robes, I'll be made well. Question, is there something special about His robe? No, not at all. It's a piece of cloth. Why at the touch of His robe is she going to be made well? And she was. She touched His robe and was instantly healed. Because of her faith. According to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith, be it unto you. We are going to, uh, if you've already taken it, that's just fine. Uh, but we'll take it all together if you haven't taken it yet. According to your faith. This is what Jesus said to her once she finally told her whole story. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. Your faith can make the difference between the doctor having a steady hand or not in that surgery. Your faith can be the difference between divine, a divine knowing coming to the doctor and how to treat the condition. He might think it's just, or she might think it's just her smarts, her years of studying in the field of whatever. But the truth is, your faith can make all the difference. Or maybe you don't even need the doctor. 
So tonight, we have promise that the body and blood of Jesus both cleanses us and heals us. So just like the woman with the issue of blood, she touched his hem of his garment. There wasn't anything special about the garment, but she was healed. Tonight, your point of contact, instead of being the hem of his garment, take it with the piece of bread. That his healing, his body was broken for me. And receive according to your faith. And part of receiving is thanking, is it not? Okay. Yeah, grab the mic and share it with us. Hello. All right. I just want to share a quick testimony. Um kind of related to communion and healing. Um, Last spring, I think it was, I had gotten a UTI, and I didn't know that's what it was, and we had gone to um, the young family group, and I was just in pain and miserable and sore and not feeling good. And they laid hands on me, but I'll be honest, I didn't have faith for anything to change. I just went through with it and whatever. Next day, I ended up in urgent care where they found out it was a UTI. And so they put me on this antibiotic, and I started taking it. By the next day, I could hardly get up and walk. I just felt awful. Um, So I went to the ER. They did a bunch of scans, checked my kidneys, all this other stuff. And that was all fine. So their instruction was to just continue with the medicine. It was like seven or ten days, something like that. So I finished out the medicine, and I was no better. And at this point, I was bleeding also. Um, maybe that's TMI, but that's where I was. And uh, it was a Sunday. Yeah, we were meeting Sunday mornings at the time, I think. So this might have been two springs ago. Anyway, timelines are relevant. <laughs> so it was a morning, and we were here, and it was a communion time. And I just stood there, and I was like, you know what? I know what communion's for. I know about my salvation. I understand that, you know, the Lord's body was beaten and bruised for my healing. I'm going to take this communion, and this infection's going to be gone. And I took my communion, and the pain immediately left. I had no more bleeding. The infection was gone. So just be encouraged that there is purpose in what we're doing. Yes, amen. Thank you for sharing that. 1 Corinthians 11. Thank you, Paul. I'm going to read a couple verses to you. Paul said, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. He gave thanks. Knowing what was about to come, he gave thanks. Broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's just take the body for your healing, for your divine health. Father, I thank You for Your divine healing power that You made available to us when Jesus was beaten and hung on the cross. That You set our healing in place at that time. And Lord, we take a hold of it and receive it tonight. Full health, full strength in our bodies. That our bodies are revived and our youth is renewed. And that we go in Your strength, 
Lord. I thank you, Father, too, that you would teach us, that you would show us on any adjustments we need to make in our body. We don't take this lightly, Lord. You know all things, and we ask you to direct us, to lead us, to guide us, to walk out and stay in full health. And I thank you for it. And let's take the cup, the new covenant. Father, we're grateful, very, very grateful. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for making a way for us to come to you unashamed and boldly, a way for us to be your child, to come to you and say, Daddy, thank you for that. Thank you for removing our sin. Thank you for taking our punishment. Thank you for giving us your reward, your righteousness. And if there's anyone here that you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life, it's not difficult. It's very, very, very simple. It's very, very easy. But it'll cost you everything. It's not an easy life, but it is a victorious life. So if, if that's you, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, here's how you do it. You just submit to Him and say, Father, I receive what You've done for me. I believe Jesus died and rose again. And I submit to You. And I believe in You and I'll do what You tell me. And You are in the family of God. It's that simple. If, if you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life and you would like someone to help you with that, just raise your hand and we'll help you. We're going to have a time of worship, and if you um, aren't bold enough to raise your hand, that's okay. Just tap your neighbor. Tap your neighbor and say, would you help me? And they're going to help you. All right? Victory. It's a theme, isn't it? Victory. You're going to go out this week in victory. Everywhere you go, you're going to be aware of the victory that's been given to you. Doesn't mean there won't be a fight, but you have the victory. Someone say, I have the victory. All right, one way we love God is we love on each other and celebrate with Jen when she turns 40. So everyone's invited downstairs for cake and good times. Good evening and welcome to Church of the Word International here at Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We're so glad that each and every one of you are here. Welcome to the new ones. You know, your guests the first time, Grace. Second time, your family. So there you go. We're so glad that you're here. We're going to minister to the Lord uh, and and in doing that, it's praise and worship. And when we praise and worship the Lord, it creates an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to speak and to move. Your praises 
create that atmosphere. In Psalms 22.3, it says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So it brings, I mean, you brought them, but it creates this atmosphere that's so beautiful. Hebrews 13.15 says, By him let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men praise everywhere, lifting holy hands. There's your license to lift up your hands tonight in praising and worshiping the Lord. It's the word of God. So let's all stand up together as family tonight in the family of God. And let's give Jesus all the glory because he is really worthy of it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Always, every minute of the day, that joy is within each one of us. It's the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that kingdom has come within you as a born-again child of God. So it's not a far way. It's not something you got to get. It's something you have that you just release. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought us up, who brought our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Glory to God. We have a risen Savior, don't we? That great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be all the glory forever and ever and ever. Father, we thank you so much for this service tonight. We thank you for your presence here with us. We welcome you and celebrate you. We honor you. We give you all the glory. You're worthy of every benefit. We thank you, Jesus, so much for your, your perfect sacrifice on the cross that not only forgave our sins, but gave us the opportunity to have a recreated spirit alive unto God the Father. And now, as born-again children of God, we have a covenant. We have an opening, an entrance into the heart of the Father, where we are now called the children of God. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for that, Jesus, and so much more that you did for us. Thank you for the anointing on each and every one here tonight, Lord, with ears to hear, hearts to receive the good word of God, a word that can change their life forever. Father, we bless the children's workers and the children's ministry as the children are released to go. And one way we love God, how do we express that? By loving one another. See, the cross is vertical and horizontal. Let's do both. Glory to God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness of death, 
Well, good evening again. It's so good to be back. Yeah. You know, we have blood family, and then there's spiritual family. And I just, I missed you guys, because you're my, that's, thank you. Yeah, I really did. I'm just so grateful to be doing life with everyone here. Thank you. Well, I see some new faces in the crowd, so if you're here for the first time, can you raise your hand so we can recognize you? Welcome. We're glad you're with us. Our ushers have some cards, information cards, if you want to fill those out, um, any prayer requests you may have, go ahead and put those in the baskets as they go by. And we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this evening, like we usually do. You know, I just want to say thank you to Karen, Debbie, and Troy for stepping up and carrying on while we were away. Y'all did a great job. And Troy, I really appreciated the word that you brought from Malachi. So, yeah, it's as we do the word. It's as we do it, release faith on the word, and then that we experience God's best. And so I just want to... Let's just release faith here for Malachi 3, 10, and 11. It says to bring the full tithe. That's our part, right? And then it says that there may be food in my house, and put, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. So that's what we're going to release faith for. Amen. We're acting on the word. We're going to bring the full tithe and we're going to release faith for blessings poured out until there's no more need and that the devourer is not permitted access to our stuff. Amen. Now, what do we mean by releasing faith? That means that I'm going to expect it to happen. That if I'm going to do the word, I look into this gold mine here, and I say, it says that. And it's true. And I believe it. So as I do it, I'm going to expect it. Amen? All right, let's expect the Lord to meet our needs. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your promises tonight. I thank you that you're faithful to everything that you've said and everything that you've promised. So we love you, we honor you, we return the tithes and our offerings to you. And I just thank you for blessing the people. I thank you for meeting every need, providing answers for every need in this house. And we just praise you and give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. And the ushers will pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord, and not to man. All right, a couple things in our... Before you go any further, there is something special we wanted to do. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What is this? So this is uh, birthday cards from a bunch of the people. And um, I just want to take the opportunity to say, you know, that you are very precious to us here as a body, to me as my wife... Happy 
birthday, dear Jenny. Happy birthday to I want to. I want to just say that you make forty look awesome. Because <laughs> you you age so gracefully and amazingly, and so um, I'm blessed about that. And um, all of you all, I know some of your minds are running with that one. All of y'all are are welcome to join us downstairs after the service. We're going to have a time of celebrating. Her and the 40 years that God's given her and the many more that God's going to continue to give her. I feel very overwhelmed. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, what can I say? I missed you guys. And boy, you sure know how to bring a welcome. A welcome home party. Thank you very, very much. What was I doing? <laughs> the announcements. Okay, maybe it might be good if you just read the bulletin tonight. Uh, the Ghana Initiative Fundraiser is going to be here um, at church Friday, April 6th, but you have to sign up by April 3rd to reserve your seat. 16th. 16th. Oh, see? Read the, read the bulletin. Um, well, at least, yeah, I mentioned that, so now you'll, you'll know what that, yeah. There's a city gate tomorrow morning, so if you signed up for that, I know the youth are going out, be in prayer for them, that uh, they minister to the hearts of people and make an impact on their lives, and then also the youth will be here again tomorrow night, so thank you again, you're so kind. Well, good evening, and uh, it's so good to be home with our people. You know, we had a wonderful time with family and uh, renewing relationships and, and just we had a wonderful time. And uh, my grandmother had an estate auction. That's where we were in southwest Missouri. Yet there's no place like being with our people. There's no trade-off for it. And there's no family function that I've ever gone to that I didn't look forward to coming back to our people. And so uh, you guys are a blessing. We're going to, before we get into the sermon tonight, I'm going to um, read you a, a scripture verse, and then I'm going to invite Gene to come up and share an opportunity for you and I that I think is uh, a God-given opportunity, and it's a timely opportunity. You know, in Scripture, in Ezekiel 22, there was a, an indictment against the land, and the Lord was... Looking, it says in verse 30, I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it, but I found no one. So I have poured out my indignation on them and consumed them with the fire of my fury. I have brought their actions down on their own heads. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Now, a few things notice that it, it was their own actions that were brought down on them. Not because the Lord hated them or anything like that. And it says that if, you, if we would have read, started in verse 23, you would have seen this huge list of things, this horrible list of things that the land was guilty of. 
that the people in the land were guilty of. And yet, he, the Lord says that He was looking for someone to stand in the gap and make up the difference. In spite of all that wickedness, if He could just find somebody to stand in the gap, just find somebody to interpose. That's what we've been studying in our home groups, right? Interposition. What is interposition? It is standing in the gap for truth. Standing in the gap on behalf of truth. And so... This is the Lord looking for someone who's willing to interpose on behalf of truth, on behalf of the land, on behalf of the people. So I'm going to invite you to give your attention to Gene. Gene, you can come and to um, check in your heart, be sensitive to the Lord and what He would have you to do. Good evening. Good evening. Isn't it amazing that we get to do things for the kingdom of God? So when you hear someone say, all right, we're going to introduce another way for you to get involved, what does that do inside of you? Do you say, man, another thing we have to represent. What do we get? Another thing to do. Shame on you if that is in your spirit. Um, so we are going to present another way to, to uh, interpose, to get in between darkness and light, death and life. Uh, and then we're going to show a little video first and then I'll, I'll continue. Planned Parenthood at 40 Days for Life. (laughs) We saved a baby from abortion. 40 Days for Life is an invitation to trust God, to take a leap of faith, to join the one million people who have participated in this effort. 40 Days for Life just brought a beautiful model of prayer and fasting to the sidewalk. I believe in 40 Days for Life because I've seen the power of prayer and fasting. I've seen miracles on the sidewalk. And 40 Days for Life is effective because it is founded on the backup goodness and grace of God, of people in prayer, a nation on their knees. The reason I love 40 Days for Life is because it is a way to get the church out of the building onto the street. The pivotal moment in my decision to choose life was when I was sitting on that table and the 40 Days for Life volunteers, they were outside praying for me and I realized that I could not do it. Prayer and fasting and handing this over to God and doing our part, whether it's an hour a day, an hour a week, an hour a month, whatever it is, doing something because it is worthy of our time. It is worthy of our sacrifice. It is worthy of our discomfort. And it's time to take this moment in history and to make it the beginning of the end of abortion. 
please sign up for an hour for 40 days for life. You will save babies. Find the location nearest you at 40daysforlife.com. Amen. <clears throat> for those of you who are involved in our small groups, how do you like the book that we're going through? Pretty amazing, isn't it? It's actually stirring not only me, but our group, and I would, I would hope that it's stirring you to a new level of boldness, um, to, to not disregard what's going on as individuals and to continue to live in complacency. It's time for us to, to move. It's time for us to stand. Amen? Amen? So 40 Days for Life is a movement that everyone can get involved with. Uh, you may say, well, I'm too old. Well, what is, old? What is too old? I'm not looking at you, Dale. <laughs> what is too old? We, we uh, as a group, uh, we had a couple uh, CWI members go down, and we uh, marched and prayed and fasted at the uh, Chester uh, Planned Parenthood. And there were families there that had children, 10, 8, 10, 12. And there was a lady that was in her 70s, so... There's no threshold to what you can do. What, what is your mindset? What is in your spirit? What do you desire the most? What is your desire? Do you desire things, money? What is your legacy? Didn't we just study in our small groups that God will supply all of your needs? Money, clothes, food. So we need to stop concentrating on the things that we think we need and we need to get past our nose and see the needs of others and get out there and do something. Now is not the time to be a slacker in the kingdom of God. You know, there, there was a prophecy in our group. It said the church will be shaken and weak, but the remnant will continue. We speak that. So as the remnant, we need to get involved. Some of the things, some of the ways that you can get involved. Now, I have a sign-up sheet out back, and, and if you want to pray... You say you can't go, and I understand everybody's busy and families and, and things are going on, uh, but don't make that an excuse to not get involved. You need to engage in some way. So the sign-up sheet is not for you to commit to go stand out there. It's for you to say, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast in the morning, or you know, for an hour slot. That's a way you can get involved. You don't have to be there. You can fill slots that way. But part of the, the uh, thrust for this uh, ministry is that they have two people every hour in front of this building from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., six days a week. So that is the goal. Um, and so think about that, pray about that. You know, we want to be right where God wants us to be. You know, you can't let fear stop you from fulfilling God's will in your life. I question your Christianity if you let fear stop you from stepping out of your comfort zone and fulfilling that. What's God's word say about it? He doesn't give us a spirit of fear, confusion, but power and love and a sound mind. So let's run with this, okay? Whatever it might be, whatever you're involved in, you know, this is another way that we can engage and we can get involved. Some of the statistics, uh, recent ones, 
I just today I got an email from one of the founders or from one of the uh, leaders, and they, they said that since the 17th of February, 170 babies have been saved. And so that's 17 days of, of standing in the gap, of interposing for, for babies and for women. So that's 10 babies a day. So don't ever think that what you are doing, if you don't see the fruit of it, there are people who have stand, and I've read uh, about these, uh, you know, these, these Planned Parenthood vigils that have stood for three years before a baby was saved. But if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. It's time for us as individuals to stand for the truth of the Word of God. Just like David. David said, okay, here, go, here we go, God. Let's go. We're going to defeat this giant. It's time for us as individuals and as a church to stand for the truth of the Word of God. And we will conquer. We know the, we know the end. So, uh, yeah, these guys are in, uh, this, this ministry is in 63 countries. It's well established. Uh, if you have any questions, contact me. In the bulletin, there is a website. We are actually a sub-leader uh, group for the leader in Chester County. So if you go on the website, you can sign up, get all your information inside there, and then you can plug in the dates that you want to, if you're able to go, what times, and, you know, and so forth. But uh, feel free to contact me. Um, yeah, anything you need. Uh, let me show you what, what I got made here. <laughs> so what, what does a day out there look like, you say? Sign on. Maybe, maybe you have the Word of God on you. You have your Bible behind you. And you're walking back and forth on that property. You have, you have a, a six or eight foot right away that they can't, not, they can't make you leave. So you're in front of this building and you're, you're praying and you're walking. And you're praying for an opportunity. You don't even know. There are stories of people who have driven up to the, the Planned Parenthood and drove by and made a decision not to do it because of seeing people walking on the, on the sidewalk. So you don't know. You, you don't have to engage, but there are opportunities to engage. When we went out, we, we were able to engage uh, on uh, a couple of occasions. This one, this one young lady, her name was Daisy, and she jumped out of her car. Now, this is a day where, like Thursdays, they do chemical abortions, and Fridays, they do surgical abortions. So this was Thursday, and this young lady jumped out of her car, and she was, you know, they have security there. They, they you know, they escort them in, um, and her name was Daisy, and we said, hey, is, do, you, do you understand where you're going and what you're doing? So you have an opportunity to speak. You have free speech. You can, you can engage. And she kind of stopped and, and looked, and then she went inside. Maybe an hour later, she'd come back out. And she went directly to her car. She opened up her door. And I said, hey, hey, can you just stop for a second? We just want to talk to you. We have options and, and we have a list. And what we will do as a church, we will develop a list of, of uh, services in the area that we can offer them, you know, adoption or, or, or and so forth. But she, she turned around. She said, oh, and she was caught, by I'm, I'm sure, by the power of God. She turned around. She just slowly took small steps and was right down in front of us. And we were able to say, you know, I, 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 was, I was like, do you know how much God loves you? 
He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. Forgiveness and healing. And she was weeping. It was this moment of, you don't know. Now, a little history on the chemical abortion. They have within 24 hours to 48 hours to reverse that. So there are ways to reverse that particular procedure. So, yeah, we were able to give her information. And so at this point, we don't know what happened. But those are the moments. Can you see? Can, and I, I have a close friend. And he said, I, I really didn't have a burden for the souls that were being lost. For and so God gave him this vision. And he gave him a vision of seeing how many people were going to hell in a day. What is it going to take to stir your heart for life? What is your value on life? We sit in our comfortable houses and say, Josh will get it. Yeah, he's a good guy. He'll answer for that. So anyways, I'm not here to meddle too much. Uh, just an amazing, just such an honor to be a part of this body of doers. I'm pretty much preaching to the choir. I don't, I, I don't know, there's some new people here. So my name is Jean, and this is my queen, Kathleen. So adore her. She supports me in, in, in so much and the things that I do. And I'm, I'm really a shy guy. Just, you know, she kind of lifts me up. But... Uh, I want to share one more thing. Let me, let me get to a scripture, but I wanted to share a story about how we talk ourselves right out of what God wants us to do, you know? It's easy. It's easy to do. Just like, you know, Josh will do it or someone else will get that. So God had mentioned, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't like to sweat. I don't like the heat. I, I, my parents moved to Florida. I was there six months, and I had to leave. I just couldn't, I couldn't handle the heat. And so... I did not want to ever go to Africa. I always believed for Hawaii. But um, so one day God said to me, and we had we had some acquaintances in Africa that had an orphanage, and and uh, God said to me, strong in my spirit, He said, "I need you there." Now understand, He didn't speak to me verbally. It's in my spirit. Get in tune with the Spirit. He wants to move with you. He wants to guide you. And right away I said, you know what, if, if circumstances were right, if my finances were good, you know, if things just right, you know, I got the kids, you know, probably would go. And you know, there's the mistake I made. I was at the dinner table and I was looking at my children when I said that. My wife was sitting there. And God immediately in my spirit said, it doesn't matter if your circumstances are right. It doesn't matter if your finances are right. It's about obedience to, to what I want you to do. And so if you think Christianity is a sit back, I got my salvation and I'm going to church on Sunday type thing, you better recheck your, your heart because you signed up. You signed up to go and stand in the gap. Amen. 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 So anyways, get, yeah, let me go to the scripture here before I leave. Let's turn to Psalms. Psalms 2. Verse 8. Ask me. 
What are you asking God for? Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your inheritance. What are you asking God for? I try to make it a staple in the morning when I get up. I, I try to say two things outside of praising the Lord and thanking Him for another day and worshiping Him. How can I be used to glorify you today, Lord? How can I be a blessing to someone today? Don't ask that if you're not ready. Be ready because He'll put you in. All right, guys? I love you. I like what you said, Gene, that these people are doers. Doers. You know, it's not the hearer of the word that gets results. It's the doer of the word that gets the results. And so you and I have to um, look for, Lord, how do you want me to be involved? How can I be the doer that you've created me to be? And there's many, many ways to, to be involved, um, and it doesn't hurt to grab a hold of a whole bunch of them, this, this being one of them, this being an important one. Also, locally, we have opportunity as we are gearing up for um, the primaries in May, there's opportunity for you to make difference in our community, right? There's a Thursday night at Loxley's, there's going to be another meeting with Reopen PA, it's a great organization for you to come out and uh, to be a part of and to say, how can I make a difference? You know, I'm looking at, at um, council members and school board members and, and I'm looking at representatives and senators and mayors and I'm looking at judges and I'm looking at all these people. You know, the Lord is, is requiring of us to step up in ways that we haven't before. And so we can't anymore go, well, we'll just wait for someone else to do it. You and I have to seriously take before the Lord what should I do? How can I do it? And uh, be willing to step out of your comfort zone, out of the boat, and walk on water. Alright? Hallelujah. Before we uh, go further, I want to give a shout out to my pastor friend. Um, wave at everyone. Um, he is pastor of a church in E-Town, just up the road, and uh, he came to me and he said, we're looking for like-minded believers to do it together with. And uh, so we had a wonderful lunch together, and then um, he is uh, here tonight because he wants to uh, get a little better feel of who we are, and see, we, we recognize that gone are the days where we are islands. Gone are the days where we're just going to do it ourselves, but we're going to do it together and encourage each other together. And um, hallelujah. So be sure and welcome him after the service and love on him and encourage him. Actually, let me insert something because I I went into this before I was quite ready for it. I wanted to let you know of another way that you guys are being doers of the Word Last month, in our offerings for missions that we've taken during the whole month, now, as you know, we take a special offering last, last weekend of the month 
of four missions, 100% of it goes to that. But during the month, at any time, you can give towards that offering and designate it where you want it to go and we'll make sure all of it goes there to advance the gospel, to do the work of the Lord. And I look out and I say, you know, Gideon had 300. Well, we might have 150 or more, but they're mighty, right? You are mighty. And so let's believe God that that will continue to increase and grow and that those people all around the world that we are supporting are going to be enabled in every way to do all that God has put before them to do.